Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about one of the basic characteristics of the human race. And then we're going to take a step or two in the direction of learning more about end-time prophecy. Let's go. After so much miraculous intervention on God's part, you just have to shake your head in wonder. Why would he do it? Okay, let's look at the record. Ten disastrous plagues destroyed Egypt, a terribly powerful nation at the time. The Red Sea split in two, leaving a dry channel through which the fleeing Hebrews escaped the wrath of the pursuing Egyptian army. Then the army was destroyed under these same waters as the Hebrews reached the distant coast. For the following 40 years, this wandering horde of, let's say, two to six million people were given water from a rock, bread from heaven, a cloud and a pillar of fire for daily directions. Their sandals never wore out. The Jordan River miraculously stopped running to allow their crossing into Canaan, The walls of Jericho simply fell down before them. The list goes on and on. So why would he do it? It wasn't as if he didn't know God had miraculously brought them back to the land of their fathers. And it wasn't as if God hadn't given them clear and specific instructions. Joshua told them, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Oh, but he did it anyway. You may know the story. After wiping out Jericho, the armies of Israel were defeated at a little nothing fortress of Ai. The people were instantly demoralized. What in the world had happened? Was God with them or not? Joshua, their commander, sought the Lord and found out the problem. God said, quote, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So he called for the whole host to assemble. Then he called out the tribe of Judah. Then he called out the family of the Zerhites. Then he took the clan of Zabdi. And then he took the man Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Achan, his knees must have really been knocking. And he confessed, quote, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils, this is of Jericho, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, Weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So, 
He was taken, along with all that pertained to him, his family and his goods, and all Israel stoned him. Then they burned him, and finally heaped a great mound of stones over the ashes. The experience was so powerful that they memorialized the place of his execution, calling it the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. Achan was his name, and that spelled trouble. For this study, we'll take a look at the root cause of this trouble, the real consequences and personal application, and the repeat coming in prophetic terms. Okay, first, root cause. Covetousness. God had protected, prospered, prepared the people for this campaign. They were all in line, so to speak, except one man. And his folly threatened the whole nation. He didn't need the spoils of the war. He had a lifetime of experience of God's goodness and faithfulness. He was fully informed as well, but he let his sinful lust drive him to the deed. It's interesting that when confessing, he asserts that the thing that first caught his eye was a beautiful Babylonian garment or robe from Shinar. The prohibited items specified by the Lord initially did not mention garments. Could it be that his attraction for this Babylonian delight led him to greater guilt, taking the silver and gold? Whatever the case, he coveted them. Now the word translated as coveting here in Joshua chapter 7 is basically lusting after something. It is the same word used when Eve looked upon the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden and in the ten seas of Exodus when the Lord forbade coveting your neighbor's blessings. Whew! Talk about root cause. This is the stumbling block for all of humanity. And the tragedy is that just as Eve was surrounded by God's incredible blessings and goodness in the garden, so was Achan upon entering the promised land. And so are you and I by faith in Christ. Oh, we may wonder how we're going to make the next mortgage payment, or just how lonely can a person get. But we have God's word on it. All things are ours in Christ. Check out 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. Paul made it abundantly clear that we are more blessed in heaven than can be described. Whether we enjoy earthly blessings or travail in earthly sufferings, we need not covet, for we have such glorious promises of eternal rewards, they're just not worth comparing. Read Romans 8, verse 18. Now, first was root cause. Next, real consequences. Coveting is intrinsically destructive to the individual's soul and the community as a whole. Achan was bombarded, burned, and buried. 
Well, these consequences are the fruit of covetousness. Play with it and you'll be hit by temptations and lies, hurt by the heat of the flesh's insatiable appetite for sin, and heaped upon in condemnation and guilt. Just stop. Consider the outcome. Set your mind on things above. Ever see a person afflicted with leprosy? Hands and feet decayed and gone? The face not recognizable as human? The senses dead? A sad, sad condition. And it all starts with one diseased nerve. One hidden problem. Such is the spiritual effect of covetousness in the body and the community. Sad to say, it is the foundational principle of today's entertainment and advertising with which we are pummeled day by day. Its mantra, promote covetousness rather than contentment. Like the host of Israel, you must deal with it radically. Okay, root cause, real consequences, and now return coming. The prophetic illustration is wonderful here. This valley of trouble is very symbolic for the Jewish nation. You see, just as in the book of Joshua, the host of Israel had only recently entered the promised land, so too the modern nation of Israel has only recently re-entered it. Just as Jericho miraculously fell to the ancient hosts of Jews, so have the modern Israelis had, they've had miraculous success in warfare, and it may culminate with their victory over the Ezekiel 38 and 39 predicted invasion of Russia and its allies. But trouble is coming. One man is coming who cannot control his desire. Guess who? We call him the Antichrist. He will bring a time of false peace. And then, great trouble to Israel. The time of, quote, Jacob's trouble. That's in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It will be during the last seven years of this age. We'll call it the 70th, that's seven zero, 70th week of Daniel's famous prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. As with Achan, it may begin with a temptation associated with Shinar, that is, Babylon or modern-day Iraq, and lead to some problematic buried treasure. Hmm, oil or gas? Or maybe even a pipeline? Hmm. Like Achan, he will be hung up on silver, gold, and pleasant things. Check out Daniel 11.38. Regardless, Israel will be greatly troubled during this time of judgment. Quote, the Bible says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm again, 
the fortified cities, and against the high towers. Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 through 16. And like Achan in Zephaniah 1.18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. And then out of Daniel 12.1, we read, At that time, Michael, that's the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jews, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. But with the peril also comes a promise, quote, And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who's found written in the book. Daniel 12.1, quote, I will punish her for the days of the Baals, B-A-A-L-S, those were false gods, to which she burned incense, and she decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure or open her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her, speaking to her heart. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. It's all from Hosea chapter 2, 13 through 15. And from Hosea chapter 2, 19 and 20, he says, quote, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. He's speaking all of this to the Jewish people. You see, the Jewish people, in rejecting their Messiah, have placed their hopes in other things. For 2,000 years, they have been ripped on, if you would, as a consequence. Now that God has graciously gathered them, they have re-entered the promised land and enjoyed military success. But they look to America and to their own wits, their own power to preserve them. They're not yet ready for their true Messiah. They're not ready, but rather they are ready for a false one. And Christ will remain in heaven until it's time. Quote, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them, and no one shall rescue. I, this is Jesus, will return again to my place, that is heaven, till they, the Jews, acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Jesus prophesied of the Jews in the tribulation period, quote, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. 
And I think that's going to be by the 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists. See Revelations chapter 7. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Could that be the wilderness? And then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. All of that's found in Matthew chapter 24. However, because of God's love for them, it is in this valley of trouble that they will find a door of hope. They will say, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, now prophetically, that's 2,000 years if you refer to 2 Peter 3.8. So he will bind us up. He will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning or the third day of the morning. And he will come to us as the rain from heaven not the U.S., the U.N., or the E.U., like the latter and former rain to the earth. Two times, one fulfilling the spring or latter rain festivals and one fulfilling the fall or former rain festivals. More on that in another study, Lord willing. That's all from Hosea chapter 6, 1 through 3. It could even be that they will literally pass through this valley, which is near Jericho, on the way to the wilderness. But let's bring it home. Are you in such a valley? Do you know someone who is? Has covetousness led you to trouble? Whatever trouble you may be in, know this, that in Jesus Christ and in him alone, there is a door of hope, the door of salvation. Jesus said, quote, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's in John chapter 10. Yes, he can turn that place of trouble into a peaceful pasture. In fact, he promises it. Quote, in Isaiah chapter 65, it says, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. This is true. As with Achan, that Babylonian treasure may be quite attractive, but it's a sure ticket for trouble. As Israel did, remove the accursed thing from your midst. Give your sin to God, and only then can you stand before your enemies. And one day soon... We who believe will leave this trouble behind. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast. May you realize, my friend, more of his grace today.